Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. And, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's turn. I don't know really where I'm going to start or where I'm going to end. I know that I'm not going to go out of the book of James that much this morning. Uh, and if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. I'll start with James chapter 1. And then I'll probably end up in James chapter 4 uh, a little bit before we go. And Let me pull my notes back up. James chapter 1, and, and again, uh, this, I'm kind of going to go back and forth and hope that the Holy Spirit helps me to tie all this together and to make some kind of sense out of it. But uh, start with verse 12 of chapter 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Uh, God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Okay? Patiently endures testing. God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. So, uh, <clears throat> with testing comes patience, right? And so, uh, he, uh, he blesses the people who patiently endure testing. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. <clears throat> now, 13 says, And remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else either. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. And I'm going to stop right there for a minute. I wanted to tell you something. I really believe there's a big difference in testing and tempting. A lot of people will be tempted and say they're being tested, and they're tested and saying they're tempted. And here's what I want to say. There's a lot of people that, especially in ministerial circles, in pastoral circles, church circles, that will literally fall to some sort of sin. And not just a minor sin, but a major sin. But a lot of them, uh, no, not a lot, but every major sin comes as a consequence of not dealing with minor sins. Now, there's not a gauge of sins when it comes to God. Sins of sins. But what I'm talking about is, is small sins that keep coming into our lives. Small sins that, are, that we <clears throat> refuse to deal with uh, in ourselves. They, they begin to, to become bigger and stronger and they become healthier when we become really sicker. And I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. Um, and those sins usually, usually, if not mostly, come to light. Uh, you know, I was reading here in the last couple of days of a very, very predominant figure in evangelical circles, in Christian circles, has been a name that has been highly revered for years and years and years, a great, uh, a great teacher of scriptures, uh, a great teacher of even the, the, you know, Hebraic history and tying it all in, you know, uh, was a, was a, a, 
Christian Jew. So, I mean, he was, he was phenomenal in his teaching. But accusations have surfaced. Uh, the accusations surfaced years ago, and, and apparently, according to the spokesperson, this man's dead and gone now, but according to the spokesperson of his ministry that is, that is still in operation, they've, they came out with great regret to you know, say that the accusations have been proven to be, uh, to be accurate, that these allegations uh, were not just allegations or, or accusations, but that they uh, were actually committed by this particular person. Uh, now, I don't know in what part of his life they were. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times... You know, younger people do commit sins that they may not do you know, commit later on in their lives. You know what I mean? Uh, I still think we should hold men of God accountable, even myself included. We should, we should be held accountable for our lives. I mean, the, 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 what we do, what we say, and most especially behind closed doors. But that's where we have the greatest opportunity to sin, when we think no one else is looking, right? Uh and so what I'm, I want to try to get across this morning is a lot of times things will creep up on you in the middle of the night because it was things that you refused to deal with early on in life. And so again, I don't know if what he did or what, was it, what, what he committed was earlier in the stage, earlier stages of his ministry when he was a younger man or if they were in the later part of his ministry or if they were throughout the entire part of his ministry. But again... We've got to understand that, that God's grace is sufficient. If God's grace is sufficient, then we've got to understand that that calls on us to extend grace also. Uh, so I, I don't know to the extent of what his, his, uh, these allegations are. And I'm, just try, I'm trying to, to bring across a point. The same accusations that were brought against this man are the same accusations that we see brought against David in the Bible. And David was forgiven and, and, and God still used David, you know, later on and throughout the rest of his life. And uh, am I excusing it? Absolutely not. It was still, David was still guilty of all the things that he did. But David was doing these things really because there was... Inter, there was inner, uh, I don't want to say demons, but there was things in his flesh that he had not dealt with appropriately that were coming back and causing him issues and problems throughout the entire span of his life. And so if I could say anything this morning, you know, if there's anything that we're dealing with that we're not dealing with fully, or if there's things that we're refusing to deal with, I'm saying they must be dealt with. They, you, we must be careful with those things because, again, they will come back in the most opportune but in the most unfortunate times for us and bite us in the butt, so to speak. You know, you know um, they will expose themselves and they will expose themselves through our mistakes. We will, I mean, so if they're not dealt with, they will deal with us. So there is a test and then there is a temptation. Okay, God will test you to, to evaluate your faith, so to speak. But the enemy will tempt you. God will never tempt you. 
God will never lure you. Temptation is sort of like a lure. You know, if you go fishing, you use a lure. It's artificial. You know, like what? Really, you want to talk about inhumane? You're you're ta- you're take you're taunting a hungry fish with something that is going to get it snagged and pulled out of its environment, possibly taken home and eaten that it really could never have eaten anyway, or at least not digested. It would, you know. So, I mean, how cruel is it to go out and use an artificial lure to catch a fish? And then turn it back. I mean, I would go home and eat it. At least it doesn't have to suffer anymore, right? You know, just joking. Don't everybody looking at me all grimace like. But, you know, we use artificial lures to draw in or attract fish. And a lot of times it, you know, literally it leads them to their demise. You know, you, you put them on a stringer, you take them home, they end up in the freezer and then the frying pan. You know, how unfair, but life is like that, and the devil uses the same schemes to catch us. You know, he, he'll put something in front of us that is luring. He'll put something in front of us that is attracting to us. You know what I mean? It may be uh, someone of the opposite sex. It may be something materialistic. It may be an opportunity uh, at work or an opportunity to, what, what, you know, whatever it may be. It could be a myriad of different things. God, not God, but, but, but the enemy will put things in front of you in order for you to take the bait, so to speak. And if you take the bait, you know, we say they took it hook, line, and sinker. You know, you're caught, you're trapped. And a lot of times the enemy will use these things to pull you out of a comfort zone. And I don't always believe that comfort zones are, are good. But, you know, but the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And so the, whole, the, the enemy will try to lure you away from the comforter because within the presence and the company of the comforter, he's our counsel. He's, our, he's wisdom. He is our protector. So the enemy has to lure us away from our comfort zone or our spirit zone or the Holy Spirit zone in order to get us to start responding to things that we normally would not respond to within the presence of the Holy Spirit, Right? Let me tell you how this works. If he can get you out of the presence or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he can begin to communicate to you through the desires and the temptations of the flesh. And you will have a moment of weakness and fall victim to the temptation. And I've, I've heard of people, you know, uh, seemingly godly men or people who... Uh, who presented themselves of godly men falling into some very, very uh, uh, horrific sexual temptations. And uh, I, I don't even know if you could, a temptation, whatever we would call it. I, I mean, it's, it's horrific than whatever else we would call it. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's terrible. And would always be like, oh, well, you know, I, it was just a moment of weakness. Well, yeah, it probably was. But I mean, let me just say this. You weren't being tested because God's not going to put you into a situation with a minor. Because, I, listen, God, I believe and no one could argue. No one could convince me otherwise. I believe that there is there is an innocence and a purity in youth that God sovereignly protects. God would not use the innocence 
and the purity of someone's youth to test an, an, another man or a woman's faith. There's no, there's no way. That you, you, you were allowed, you, you, you allowed the devil to lure you into a situation where you would not have been otherwise if you had, if you had continued fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit. I mean, let me explain something here. When temptation arises, do you know where you should go immediately? Prayer. When temptation presents itself, immediately you should go to prayer. Can you prove it? Jesus went into the wilderness to pray, fast and pray. To be tempted by the devil. But while he was being tempted by the devil, he was praying. Amen? So we've got to understand that being in the presence of the Comforter is the greatest place the most protected place that we could be when the enemy starts to, you know, meander around with his lures and his attractants and his temptations trying to bring us out or draw us away from the presence of God. Amen? So being tested and tempted are two entirely different things. God will test your faith, but the enemy will, 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 will tempt your lack of faith. Amen? So let's read on. Temptation. God, God can't be tempted, so God will not tempt you by evil. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. That's the last part of verse 13. Verse 14 said, Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. So temptation is coming out of our own evil desires. Desires that we quite possibly, I believe most absolutely, have not dealt with in our, our, our carnal self. The flesh of oneself. Amen? Uh, and it's very, it's very easy, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, I think we're dealing with a lot of mainstream ministers, and I don't, I'm not going to say no names because I don't have any names. I'm just saying that a lot of times... When we see ministers that are catapulted to stardom. I've always said this. And I hope that some of you can remember that when I said this. The worst thing that we can do to a minister is to catapult him beyond the wilderness. Because it's in the wilderness where he finds out what becoming connected with the Holy Spirit. And being in a communion and the relationship and being within fellowship with the Holy Spirit is what that that the, the necessity of that to become who He is supposed to be outside or beyond the wilderness. That you are then able to overcome and defeat the temptations of the devil. Because one of the worst things we do to young ministers is we see someone with a little bit of talent. I will never say anointing. There's 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 many people with talents that aren't necessarily anointed we see a little bit of talent call it anointing and we catapult them to the pad of the podium and the platform and the stage and all of a sudden they're 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 rising to the top they're at the they're at the peak of their career the pinnacle of their career and then boom Something happens. Guess what? Something unsurfaces. Something comes from the depths of their, their, their carnal being and allegations come forward. Uh, accusations come forward. Evidence comes forward. Uh, 
Questions come forward. And listen, I, I mean, I'm telling this really happens all the time. But then we want to sweep it under the rug. Oh, well, it, it was a, it, he was being tested. It was a moment of weakness. It, you, weren't, you weren't being tested. You were being tempted. And the temptation came out of desires that you had not dealt with yet. And when I say dealt with yet, you've not put to death yet. Hmm? Desires that you've not put to death yet. Listen, there, there's, there's so many things in our lives that come from and spiral out of desires. And desires are a lot of times influenced by carnal appetites. I believe that... <clears throat> listen, you can tell by looking at me, I don't fast very frequently, right? I love to eat. And I pray that God never really comes to me and says, Klein, I need you to fast for 21 days. Because I'm going to have to put myself on a prayer chain. A lot of Every prayer chain I can think of. Because I've, you know, I've, I've never fasted for 21 days. I mean, I don't know if people will get mad at me for saying that. I've never fasted for 21 days. I've never had God tell me to fast for 21 days. And I've never really had a situation where I felt compelled to fast for 21 days. But I pray all the time. I pray most of the day. I pray con- continuously. I mean, I'm... People, let, let me help you out. A lot of those things that when you think, well, I'm talking to myself in my mind. No, you're talking to God. Hmm? I, I ask, listen, understand that, that God is internal as much as He is eternal. And He hears your thoughts. That could be a scary thought or it could be a relieving thought. And a lot of, I hope it's a relieving thought. For me, sometimes it might be a scary thought because my mind will wander in places that I'm like, well, you know, I, don't know. I mean, not, not bad things, but like there's times I get lost in my own mind. I'm like, well, what was I thinking about again? You know what I mean? You know, but it's God that has to bring me back. But in some cases, you know, we can read throughout the scriptures where Literally, the Bible will say something along the lines like he understanding their thoughts or he knowing their thoughts or he hearing their thought. You know, Jesus can hear your thoughts. So a lot of times you got to understand and, and, and religion won't teach you this because uh, it, it, it puts you on the same or maybe even elevates you to a place beyond religion to where, uh, you know, you, you don't need me to communicate to God. You don't need somebody else to communicate to God for you. You've got to understand that you're communicating with God in your thoughts. Well, I also use this scripture to prove it. And a lot of people may uh, try to say I'm wrong. I don't care. I really don't. Uh, and I'm not being mean about that. I just, you know, I, I know where I'm at. And I don't. Uh, but Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do abundantly, exceedingly above all that we ask and think, according to the power that is in us. Because we got to understand... If I'm thinking something that it's it's being it's being rationalized in here, my mind, and and God can use that according to the power that is in me. So what is the power that is in me? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in my heart. The Holy Spirit is what connects my heart to my mind and my mind to my heart. And God can use it. Cause see, amen. Amen. All we got to do, listen, I, I told you about this, right? I, I, would, I would rehearse prayers and finally one day God spoke to me and said, go ahead and say amen. Let it be so. Okay, why? I, I'm, I'm, I'm rehearsing and get so that if I do get in the, you know, I'll have something to pray, you know. Now he said, go ahead and say amen. You know, I'll take care of it. 
Now, I know prayer is a hard, it's a difficult thing to, to explain. A lot of people, uh, I mean, even right now, there's some people hurting because they're confused. They don't know why their prayers weren't answered. Um, uh, I, I, I say this, we live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupt uh, society. I mean, the nature of man in and of itself is corrupted. Okay, we, we're living in the effects of a fallen humanity. Those things still have a great and dire effect on our lives. But I believe when we get a hold of a revelation that says Jesus, that Jesus is, and that Jesus came to bridge that gap and bring humanity back to divinity, that he came to bring man back to God. And that in that relationship, we would be able to look at mountains and say, be thou removed. I believe that getting to that place, we will endure great obstacles and great opposition. But again, let that test our faith. Because in the testing of our faith, there is a great reward. But, uh, but again, we've got to be careful with the obstacles and with the oppositions because those will be the tempting allures of the enemy to try to get us off of that path. What path? The straight and narrow path. The path where we fix our gaze on God or we fix our gaze on Jesus, which is a true north, and that we're finding our way home. If, if, if the enemy can dangle something in front of us, catching our attention and pulling us away from the objective at hand, and that is coming to the presence and fulfilling, uh, 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 finally coming to uh, the presence or the face-to-face presence with God, fulfilling the will of God, if he can draw us away from that, right? Then, then he has accomplished something. He may not completely get a, or he may not completely destroy our destiny, but he can postpone our destiny. I think a lot of times we don't make it there because there's so many other things in this world that will draw us away from giving our attention to God. And a myriad of things. And it may be insignificant and minute, but it may be major and catastrophic all at the same time. But things are being dropped in front of us all the time to steal our attention away from Jesus. And what I always say this, what steals my attention away from Jesus will rob him of my affection. Okay? So, temptation always comes from the lure of our own evil desires. Okay, you can have evil desires and not be yourself evil. Okay, but you cannot. You can have evil desires and be yourself not evil. What would be your definition of evil? Well, we, 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 we can't put evil in any capacity. Because evil, anything... Yeah, if I said something about you that wasn't true, that's an evil... That, that, I'm, I'm participating in evil because that's what it is. A lie is evil. But, but, but again... 
I mean, I mean, once I say the lie, I've acted on it. But it's not evil unless you But if I start, if if I do not correct and repent of the lie that I said about you, now I can't just go to. I don't believe that I could do this. I don't believe that I could just go to God and say, "God, forgive me," because I got to go to my brother, right? That has odd against me and ask for forgiveness from him too. And according to the Bible first before God can forgive me. So I have to come and make amends with you if I have done anything. So, but now if I continue to walk in that participation and I continue to allow that void that has divided you and I due to the evil that I participated in or I perpetrated against you, then yes, I will then grow in or morph into those evil desires. But now listen, you're going to have, you, I don't know if people would approve of this or not, but you're going to deal with things. Like you're going to be tempted. You're going, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be lured. You're, and, and the whole thing is, is getting you away from the Holy Spirit, as I stated earlier. So if I said something out of haste, because a lot of times things that we didn't really mean to do or say or, or participate in happened in haste, right? If I said something about you out of haste, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, which is my counselor, my comforter, my protector, you know, and, and, and even the one that chastises me in those moments, okay, once he, once he confronts me, if you will, or chastises me about what I said, about Larry, but I don't do anything then immediately to make amends, okay, then the, the initial act of me saying a lie about Larry caused a divide, not only between me and Larry. What? Sin and evil, yes. But it caused a divide between me and Larry, but not only me and Larry, but it started to cause a divide between me and the Holy Spirit. Because I did something that was not in agreement and it was not, I don't know, kosher, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. So now all of a sudden I've caused a wedge to divide the relationship between me and Larry and the fellowship between me and the Holy Spirit. If I don't make amends immediately, not only with Larry, but with the Holy Spirit, you got to understand when people say, I, I, you know, I, the Holy Spirit, I say this all the time. I don't want to offend the Holy Spirit. I don't want anything in me or something that I would do to offend the Holy Spirit because I don't want to distance myself from the Holy Spirit. And let me just, the Holy Spirit, we've got to understand that sin is a deterrent from the Holy, or to the Holy Spirit, okay? If, if, if I begin to feel my essence with all of these evil desires and all of these sinful temptations, the Holy Spirit becomes, a, he, He's now in a place of hostility rather than hospitality. Because sin is hostile to the Holy Spirit, okay? Righteousness is hospitable. Holiness is hospitable. Correctness is holy, er, hospitable, to the Holy Spirit. But once I start to engage in these evil temptations, but do not correct or go through the corrective measures, which we all obviously know is the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? We simply repent. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. And, and mean it. You know, repentance, the word repentance, metanoia, or metanoia, I should say, literally means to change my mind, okay? If something up here that is in my mind becomes an evil thought, 
And I don't allow the Holy Spirit from my heart to correct what my mind is thinking. Then I'm, I'm, I'm literally perpetrating or I'm participating in evil. And I said earlier that the Holy Spirit will convict me and correct me. If I don't allow that, if I, if, if I put a blocker between my heart and my mind and allow my mind to take over, that is exactly what will happen. And so if I don't go through the corrective measures immediately and repent and allow the Holy Spirit to change my mind and my outlook or my perspective on things, okay, uh, we'll explain that. I said something about Larry that may have been my perspective, but my perspective was flawed. Hmm? Was it like when I say, I'd be thinking about something, I'd say, no, Lord, I don't want that. No, forgive me for thinking the thoughts of that. Yeah, yeah, you do it a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but you're you're absolutely yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, because again, I, I know that's confusing. You can you can have you can participate or you can fail the test and possibly do something evil. Uh, one of the greatest evils that the Hebrew people. Uh, was was guilty of was was unbelief, and and again, I mean that's that's kind of tricky because how many times do you know we struggle with unbelief? Uh, God said what God said, and He's going to do what He said He was going to do, but yet we're sitting here in the middle of a desert thinking, well, what in the world's going on? Did God lie? So it, it was unbelief. But again, you know, things happen out of haste, right? He could have, but the problem was, the problem was the disobedience of unbelief. God, God could have moved him into the to the to the to to the uh, promised land. Then, I mean, I don't know. I've not done an extensive study on this, but geographically speaking, uh, they could have made that trip in like a week. But it took them forty years. You know, that's exactly right. It was it was their unbelief. It was their disobedience that kept them out of the promised land. And so, again, that's, that's a great example of how minute we would call unbelief as being evil. But even how minute that was, what a catastrophic, uh, what a catastrophic effect it had on, on the people. That for 40 years they wandered in a wilderness walking in circles when all they had to do was submit fully to God and then they would have been taken into the promised land what, what God had already promised to them. So again, did it start out as evil? Was there in, let, me, let me say it this way. Let me try to, to uh, redeem myself. Did it start out with the intentions to be evil? Okay, but because it was undealt with, it became an evil. So good people will can can unintentionally and even intentionally uh, participate or perform an evil act or in uh, in or of an evil act. Uh, but if it's not dealt with, will become an even greater evil. It will become a continuation. You you'll begin to see cycles begin to repeat itself. Okay, what is a cycle? Okay, he's making this motion of a circle. What did the Hebrew people do in the desert? They walked in a circle. They continued the cycle, right? 
So that's what happens, man, is, is when we don't deal with sin, we will literally repeat the cycle over and over and over and over again. Because, see, uh, we're, not, we're not dealing with a thing that, 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 is, that is a desire. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a temptation to us. We're not dealing with it. And, and Can I be honest? I think a lot of times we don't deal with it because we don't want to acknowledge it because there's shame in acknowledging it. But I'm telling you what, there's freedom in, in, in persevering through the shame and acknowledging it so that you can be set free from it. You know, why do you think when people go on trial, their trials are public? I mean, but, but, but there, there should be a liberty in, in being confronted or, and a lot of times confronting yourself. You've got to confront yourself or you, you've got to confront the, the, the flesh and the carnal, the carnality of yourself. It's got to be dealt with. In short, everything that we're saying here this morning, it's got to be dealt with. And let me tell you what. These, these people that say, well, if it's God's will. Now, God's will it was, was for, for you to never have to deal with those sort of things. Amen. You're dealing with them because of choices you made prior. But now the choice that you need to make in the moment now is that you're going to deal with the consequences of the choices that you made prior. Everything comes as a consequence of a choice. Do you, do you want to be set free? Or do you want to still be held captive? Because a lot of times, uh, what holds us captive has manipulated us in such a way that we feel most powerful when we're most captive. Hmm? Look what government does to us a lot. Amen? Amen? Will you give me another cup of coffee, tea? Appreciate it. So what, what holds you most captive will a lot of times convince you that you're most powerful when you're held most captive. And then uh, that's what sin does. I've had people look at me and say, well, I mean, talking about demons, you know, uh, do you believe in demons? Absolutely, I believe in demons. I, I, I believe in demonic spirits. I believe in generational curses that come by way of, of demonic spirits. I've always taught and believed that, that uh, demonic spirits are more, uh, they're more devoted and dedicated to their geographical uh, assignments than Christians are. Okay, This, this place here, as, as minute and insignificant as what most people would deem it, this is my geographical assignment. This, this location, okay, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I have a calling without a geographical assignment. My calling was to preach the Word of God. My, my, my geographical assignment was to come here and preach the Word of God. Okay, is it a big, uh, you know... Are, 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 are we growing by leaps and bounds? Absolutely not. Not in numbers, but I guarantee you some of you are farther in faith, have a deeper revelation now than what you would have had three or four years ago. Amen. Amen. You know why I can say that? It's not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. It's because I can honestly say I have a deeper revelation now than what I did four or five years ago. So if I'm teaching you what I'm being taught, it's, in, it's, it's, it's apparent that you should have a deeper revelation than what you did four or five years ago. Uh, so again, and when we don't deal with things, they really come back and they'll deal with us. And uh, you know, uh, when we deal with things through repentance, there's a thing called grace and mercy that is extended and bestowed. I would rather, I would rather, I would rather, I would rather, 
What's the word I'm looking for here? I would rather obtain grace and mercy in the event that I deal with my evilness and my sin than not dealing with it and receiving the, the recompense or, the, or the, the just reward that is not, not really what we would call a reward. It, it, it's punishment. <clears throat> Things that are not dealt with will, will, will eventually come, come up on us in punishment. Like I really think uh, it's so, so, I mean, again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and once he got to the cross, it was removed from him. You know, but he still had obstacles that he had. But guess what? Because the, because the burden was removed, he was able to navigate the obstacles with a little bit more ease, which is grace and mercy. And so a lot of times, uh, again, I, we, we, we don't deal with things. We cover them up. We hang up, you know, we hang up curtains so people can't see in, right? Well, that's what we do with religion. Religion becomes a curtain that we hang up so that other people can't see into the internal depths of our heart where all the sin is stored. You know, or they can't, they can't, they can't read our minds where, where sin is conjured up. And so uh, religion is very easy to mimic and, and, and it's very easy to duplicate, if you will. I mean, we hang up a curtain. What is one of the greatest curtains that we hang up in religion? We, we attend church every Sunday. How many people do you know that attend church every Sunday, but we, I mean, within 15 minutes of having a conversation with you, you're like, I don't know if this cat's really sold out or not. Hmm? I mean, we hang up religious curtains all the time, and it's, and it's really an attempt to, to hide and, obs- and obstruct the outside view to what, what is really going on inside of me. And so religion is one of those things that we can use. But guess what, man? You can't have fellowship and relationship with the Holy Spirit and put up curtains. Because He's already inside. Yeah. I mean, there's false prophets out there. Yeah, I think there's, all, there's, there's many cases where there's alternative motives. Um... Uh, and again, that in of itself is an evil, it's, it's an evil desire. Because what is... I, I say this all the time, and I've, I've started to say it again recently. If you have to brag about your good works, you're not doing it so that God receives the glory. You're doing it so that people will give you accolades. And that's basically publicity. And uh, that's not what the Bible says to do. It says, let your light shine that men see your good deeds and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, if I'm getting the glory and God isn't, then there was alternative motives there. Uh, which again, isn't evil. If I do anything under the pretense of in Jesus' name so that my name is the one that receives accolades, then it's evil. So there's a lot of people out there that do that. And again, that's a good thing to bring up. That is a curtain. That is a facade that we raise up to try to convince people we are who we really aren't because we've not dealt with who we are on the inside. Uh, and and again, again, let's go back to some of these younger ministers. Again, we see a little bit of talent. And all of a sudden, we catapult them to a stage or a podium or a pulpit or a platform, and, and we say, you know, let them, here, go, go get them. You know, it's we, 
we we put the we tell them to put the pedal to the metal, gain some momentum, get, go as far and as fast as you can go, and all of a sudden, they've not dealt with some things. They've not been the, the, the disciplined in the wilderness. The wilderness, like how many? I taught on the wilderness for like what two years. The wilderness will shed you of everything that is a burden or a fleshly burden. Then the will because that's what fasting is. I'll get back to that fasting here in a minute. But in the wilderness, the wilderness will shed you of everything that is, it will shed you of everything that is connected to your identity. Prove it. If you be the son of God, turn that stone into bread. And Jesus didn't turn it into the stone. Why? Because there was nothing that he had to prove to validate his identity. But listen, but validating identity is a place of pride and pride comes before a fall, right? Haughtiness before destruction. I may have said that backwards, but either way, you understand what I'm saying. The wilderness will get rid of your pride and pride in a lot of cases is the root and the center of every sin that we commit. Why? Because we don't want to face the shame of that sin because we're too prideful because it may hurt me, my identity, but it will actually help you in your eternity. There's too many people. I believe that's why Jesus said if you will save your life, you'll lose it. I believe we could translate that like this, and I'm going to this morning. If you are so bound to protect your identity, it may cost you your eternity. But again, back to fasting. I'm glad somebody brought that uh, uh, somehow. I asked God one time, I said, what is fasting? He said, well, what do you think fasting is? I said, I don't know. So I guess that's what you mean. You know, I, I fasted from things. I won't say. Let me go back and say I, I haven't fasted for twenty one days. I have fasted for twenty one days. Uh, I've fasted from different things. I fasted from uh, uh, things that I like, things that I, that I have an appetite for, things that I have a desire for. You know, uh, I slept on the floor for like a month. I slept outside for a, a, a month one time. I, I fasted. You know. Uh, Literally, I said, why? Because, uh, because a bed is an amenity and it's a luxury. Take that out of your life and, and, and that's just as much fasting as you not eating for 21 days. Okay? Uh, fast from social media. I think a lot of us could uh, really use that uh, from, a, from a time to time. Periodically, frequently, as, as a fast from social media. Why? Because that is a bunch of malarkey. I don't know if you know what malarkey is, but it's a poop. <laughs> It, uh, the malarkey comes out the backside and it stinks and it, you know what I mean like you, you can eat it if you want to chew on it and you got the, you got some to swallow it but I'm telling you I ain't doing it uh, there's just some things I won't eat and so uh, but I, I mean, while I'm on the subject I mean I know people that go to church every Sunday and eat malarkey <laughs> <laughs> But that's a, once you've ate enough malarkey, it's your fault if you keep going back for it. You know what I mean? It's like that time I, sh- I said, if I, got a loaf of, if I got a slice of bread with Nutella on it and a slice of bread with something that looks like Nutella but it smells like poop and you keep coming back for the one that smells like poop and not for one that tastes like Nutella, that's your fault. That's your fault. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so accountable. I'm accountable so much to feeding you. But if you keep going to a place that, that, that feeds you crap, then that, you know... At some point in life, we got to start claiming accountability. 
And it comes back to sin. Well, you sinned. It isn't anybody else's fault. It's not even the devil's fault. It's your fault because you didn't deal with the, the internal desires within your person and your heart. And the devil knows what your desires are. Why? Because you're, you're easy to pattern. Hmm? Your habits give him information and ammo to attack you and strike you because he can patternize your lifestyle. And by patternizing your lifestyle, he can tell what your desires are internally by how you behave externally. Mm -hmm. You keep looking at the same things on the internet. You keep... You keep you you know what I mean? Like you you keep you keep clicking on the same links. You know they they don't call it clickbait for nothing. You understand? Let me tell you how real this is. You keep talking about the same stuff, and guess what happens to your social media? All of a sudden, you start seeing advertisements for what you were talking about. You thought was in a private conversation, but guess what? Your phone is listening to you. And I'm not here to preach about the mark of the beast or end times or evading your privacy, but you need to have a little bit of common sense and understand that that phone is listening to you. It's patternizing you. And guess what the enemy is using? The very device that was meant to make your life easier It's actually making your life a living hell. Yes, sir, and don't you think don't don't you think they don't know when you're not there? That's invasion of privacy. Yes, it is. Great. I, and I said, well, I understand this, but anytime that little green light comes on on my security box, my whole house is being monitored, is being listened to, and they can do it anytime. It don't have to be that they suspect the burglars coming in or somebody entering your house anytime they want to. That's invasion of privacy. That's me. That's and, and again, anything you say can and will be used against you, right? So, uh, I mean, I, I know people that are so scared about the mark of the beast, but yeah, I mean, look, look, dude, you carry one of these around in your hand all the time, and most of the time you see people that have a uh, uh, a Bluetooth a Bluetooth connection, and they're carrying it around on their ear, like you, you're. This is becoming a, an extremity of people. It would be in your right hand or on your forehead. That's, that was, it's either in the right hand or it's on the forehead. Yep. <laughs> All the time. Think about it. Think I mean, and, and again, I'm not... Everybody is striving to get because they believe it's so wonderful, so great. It's a long run. I'm yeah. Hold on. Let me let me preach a little bit. Uh, I'm not here to preach about the mark of the beast or tell you that everything you have is the mark of the beast. I'm just here to tell you, uh, you know, we're looking at certain things and calling it the mark of the beast when there could be things possibly that you know could very well be the mark of the beast that we're overlooking. Why? Because right now it's a convenience for us and what you know. Uh, again, convenience can sometimes become a temptation. Um, if acted upon, I mean, I won't go into a whole lot of details, but common sense will tell you if it's convenient, it can become a sin. And, uh, you know, things that are convenient, things that are convenient become a temptation. Why? I mean, let me, let me just, okay. 
Most of us in here love to eat a home-cooked meal. And let's just be honest, most of the time, if not more frequent than most, uh, a home-cooked meal is better for you nutritionally. But all of a sudden, we have one, two things. That, that one is called a convenience store. The other one is called fast food. And they've become, again, convenient, hence convenience store, and fast food, hence fast. And both of those have become conveniences and luxuries. And now we can zip through the drive-thru or pull into the door and go in and get a soda and a bag of chips because it's convenient than coming home and setting out all the ingredients and all the, uh, the fixings and fixing a meal that's going to take an hour and 45 minutes. But guess what? You really enjoy that meal a lot more than something that you go, I mean, yeah, that cheeseburger from McDonald's is, is, is enjoyable, but, but there's something about eating something that you literally had your hand in fixing. You know the ingredients, and it's even better if you've grown it or you've kid. We, we really, listen, I'm still looking for, uh, I'm, uh, <clears throat> you, you said you had a one-bottom plow? Yeah. <clears throat> we may just go that route. I got a one-bottom plow, too. But we're going to do that this summer. Yeah, I actually read that a one-bottom plow is better for a garden than a two-bottom plow. Well, I hope yours attaches to a tractor because I don't got a horse. I got a small Is it category one pins? Category zero. Hey, either way, I, I mean, that's going to happen. But anyway, but again, really, it's it's completely convenience has changed our entire perspective because now we're we we have an eagerness more towards convenience, but there's really a satisfaction of eating something that you grew yourself. Like I, most of you know that I went to uh, a. Uh, Catholic monastery in Kentucky a few years ago, awesome. I mean, really, I mean, I know we're not Catholic. It has nothing to do with Catholicism. Those people, and I never, I really didn't meet any of them because, listen, it's a silent retreat. Best thing you can do is nod and smile and go on because if you talk to them, they ain't going to talk back. I promise you. Uh, there's like, but there's certain hours of the day that they'll talk to you. I was eating lunch one day, and one of the monks come down, and he went, "Seth," I'm thinking, "Holy cow! God just told this guy my name is Seth," and I turn around, look, real strange. And again, I was thinking too, maybe they had called somebody called. Uh, there's a couple things ran through my mind. Maybe it was an emergency, and they were looking for somebody named Seth, and that's just the way he approached. And I turn around, and I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, it's on your shirt. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it is. He said, I like it. Where'd you get it? That was the only one that talked to me the entire time I was there. Uh, he was pretty nice. But, again, uh, they didn't need anything that they didn't fix themselves. Like, they grew their gardens. And, and, and I mean, years and years and years ago, they produced their own milk. They produced their own beef. They produced their own vegetables. Everything. They worked with their hand. And there, there was three principles of their lives. They were called, uh, um, oh, man. I don't, yes, because of convenience. Because of convenience. But uh, uh, strict observance was, was, was something that that's refers to them. Uh, and again, they observed three things strictly. And it was prayer, silence, and hard work. 
Because, I mean, most time, the only time they would open their mouth was to pray. They would literally develop signals to speak to one another while they were working because they just, they did, they, they, they strictly observed silence. Because silence, I mean, to them, and I, I believe even to myself, silence is very overlooked and underrated when it comes to a relationship with Christ. Because let me just tell you something. Uh, it's hard to get a word in edgewise with somebody that talks all the time, right? So if you're talking all the time, then the Holy Spirit is, is having a hard time getting a word in. So sometimes the best thing that we can do in prayer is sit down and shut up and be quiet so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. But again, going back to this, if we don't deal with the things that are causing the temptation and the desires we will constantly make excuses rather than repentances. You can't make excuses and avoid repentances because all of a sudden the things that are causing you to desire and sin and commit evil acts become a chatter and an ambient white noise that causes you to not be able to hear the frequency of the Holy Spirit. So we got to, listen, people will start out listening to the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit, but because they're catapulted through and over the, the the wilderness, and they're not becoming, they're not ridding themselves of the flesh and the carnal identities that are attached to them. They don't understand. They've not went through the pruning to get rid of the desire for identity. So now, instead of let me just say it this way, they find themselves in a compromising position, and they fail to the temptation. What do they do? They cover it up. Why? Because they can't, they can't jeopardize their identity because their identity has become the fame that has propelled them to a higher career in what we call ministry. So they don't deal with it because they don't want to lose out on the next opportunity to get to minister. Why? Because you know, traveling evangelists, do you know what, they, do you know what their livelihood is? Love offerings and people that give into their and sow into their ministries. And guess what? People aren't so apt to sow into somebody that is dealing with some things or, or to sow into a ministry of a man that is not dealing with things. You've got to deal with them. They've got to be dealt with. And they're dealt with by putting it to death. Let me, let me just let me pull up some notes here and I will close this one out for this morning and, and come back later. But... Uh, uh, These evil desires, let me, let me read some. These evil desires lead to evil actions, okay? Going back to what I said, those things that, I mean, you may perpetrate, and I think I'm using that word appropriately, an evil, or participate in something evil and not be necessarily yourself evil. But allowing it to go on without being dealt with will then... Will, you will morph into something evil. I mean, you know, what you're producing, it comes from the heart. If you're producing evil and evil and evil, it's an indicator of what's within the depths and the internals of your heart. And it's evil. Okay, Jesus says that, that uh, you know, bad fruit can't come from 
good trees and good fruit can't come from bad trees. It also says that bitter water and sweet water can't come from the same source. So these evil desires lead to evil actions and evil actions lead to death. Okay, When not dealt with, the outcome ultimately is death. Okay, The wages of sin is what? Death. You've, you've got to deal with them and, and, and if at all possible, deal with them immediately. When something like, am I telling you that you, you got to be holier than thou? No, I'm telling you, you got to be smart enough to understand that when you fail, you better get back to the, 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 the unction and the, the, the propitiation that is Jesus Christ and get reconciled back to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. The, the, the way unto the Father is the, but through Him. There's no other way. You know, he is our unction. He is our propitiation. I mean, I'm telling you today, listen, well, brother, I'm telling you, you, you talk about preaching the revelation of Jesus. I just gave you the revelation of this whole message. It's Jesus is your propitiation. You will sin, but don't stay in your sin because he made a way for you to get back to fellowship with the Father. Amen. Period. And that's what happens is we get so caught up in trying to hide and cover up everything that might taint my identity or my image. And so we, we're, we're, while in doing this, man, listen, I think in most cases, unknowingly, start to walk away from Jesus. Start to walk away from fellowship with Jesus. Start to walk away from intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Why? Because, listen, you can't come into the presence of Jesus. You can't come into the presence of Jesus face to face and not fully see how, how undeserving, how unqualified you are. I mean, I don't, there's, there's, there's myriad of words that could come to mind, but you know, uh, Jesus, the revelation of Jesus is a mirror. It, it does a couple different things. First of all, when we preach the revelation of Jesus, it shows the person of Jesus. It reveals Jesus within the person. But you cannot see you cannot see Jesus within the person and not realize that what you are and who you are with no Jesus in your person. You know what I mean? Like there's a mirror. Seeing yourself in the reflection of Jesus to become the reflection of Jesus, it has to begin. You have to be cognizant. You have to be aware of the things that that mirror that 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 image of Jesus is revealing. The things in you that that are are inappropriate, that are uh, problems, that are root causes to things down the road, and 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 it's then is an opportunity for one repentance. Okay, it's a change of your mind, it's a change of your heart, it's a change of perspective, perspective and direction, and so we've got to start dealing with those things. Jesus comes into your heart to show you the 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 very root problems and causes that could later down the road. I mean, okay, let me help redeem myself. He talks about the sycamine tree. Why did he talk about the sycamine tree? If you've got a faith enough to rebuke that sycamine tree, it'll be rooted up. Almost, I mean, it kind of reflects the, the, the parable of the mountain. <clears throat> but the sycamine tree was a symbolism of bitterness because bitterness would take root in a person's heart and a person's soul. And once it takes root, it's hard to get rid of, right? And there's a whole story and there's a whole lesson in the sycamine tree of how it was very significant. But the sycamine tree had such a deep 
and strong root system that it would flourish even during droughts because its root system was so deep and its root system was so strong and stout that it could draw water from depths that no other tree could, could reach. And so when everything else was withering and dying, the sycamine tree, that root of bitterness, was flourishing. And a lot of times when everything is dying in you and of you and the essence of who you are, your bitterness towards the world and towards others is flourishing. Amen? So, you know, things that, that, that are taking root in you, the sooner you can get rid of it, the, the greater your, the possibilities of you not having to deal with it later. I mean, is that, is that not, I mean, that's, that's a common sense scenario. When you're building or when you're growing a garden, there's things that come up in that garden that you've got to pull it up. What do you, when, when, when I was growing up, Mom, I said, what are you doing, Mom? She said, I'm pulling weeds. Why are you pulling the weeds? Because, I mean, why, why, don't, why don't you just cut, cut them? Because they'll be back next week. You've got to pull them up by the root. And that's what this, this is talking about, man. We've got to start digging into the depths of our heart, allowing the hand of God and the Holy Spirit to dig into the depths of our heart. I'm guilty. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than ye all. I fail more than ye all. I'm guilty more than ye all. So when I preach on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching to the choir and I'm not afraid to admit it. There's some things that are growing roots down deep in our hearts and our souls that it's time that we take, take responsibility for and we take accountability for and we begin to deal with them so that we don't have to deal with them later. Because if we don't deal with them now, they won't be dealt with later. It'll, they'll be Listen, they're causing us to remove ourselves from the will of God, the fellowship of God, and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. I told you, when I said something against Larry, I began to set a divide between me and him and me and the Holy Spirit. And the longer that that is undealt with, the greater the divide and larger the void becomes between me and him and the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 it's inevitable. And somebody's got to understand this. And guess what? The, the only thing that can reconcile me to the Holy Spirit and myself to Larry is Jesus, the propitiation of my sins, the unction unto the Father. And I'm telling you right now, we've got to not only get Jesus back into the church, but center Jesus around our repentance. Amen? Amen. Was that good enough for you this morning? Okay. I'm going to go ahead and close with that. I don't know what time it is. Can somebody tell me what time it is? 1228. Probably, yeah. I, there, there's really a lot more that I, I would like to go over, but I, I don't, listen, I, God told me to show up and feed y'all. Many, 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 a couple years ago, he said, that's my opportunity. That's my job. He said, I don't want you calling them to the altar. I don't want you beating them. He said, I want you to feed them. Now, I understand that sometimes... You can't eat too much. And I don't want to gorge you this morning. I'm sure most of you are probably still full as a tick from all the Christmas dinners you've ate over the last couple of days. But, but again, there's a lot more I could say. There's a lot more I want to say. But I think that where we're at right now is sufficient enough. And we'll just we'll come back to this next Sunday. But let me just ask a question. Out of everything I said this morning, what was the revelation? That Jesus is your propitiation for sins and your unction back unto the Father. 
Listen, he, he went through the wilderness to make a way. Okay? The way was for you to be able to successfully persevere through the wilderness. What happened when he come through the wilderness? Okay, li- listen. He dealt with things. People, this, I don't care if they say it's blasphemous or not. He was 100% God, absolutely. Just as much was he 100% man. What does that mean? He had to deal with the things that you and I are quite possibly unwilling to deal with. But he dealt with them to prove that they could be dealt with. And the wilderness was proof of that. Okay? Do you know what I think the wilderness was? I think the wilderness was actually a purging of all the sinful carnal desires that was in the man. So that when he made it to the cross, he was pure and holy. Because listen, I'm, again, the root of all evil, or the money is the root of all evil, or the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money comes from, I believe, this is me, you can disagree if you want to. I believe that it comes from a root of pridefulness. Why? Because you put a bunch of rich men in a room and they all want to puff their chest out and compare who's the richest. It doesn't matter. You all have more money than you would ever be able to use in a lifetime. So why do you need more? Because you love it. Why? Because you can attach your identity to how much your net worth is. So again, that's exactly the root of all evil is the love of money. But the love of money comes from the root of pride. And the root of pride is, 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 is really, in essence, what causes all to act upon evil. The love of the well, and the the love of money, pride, the love of self, and you can't have either without pride. The love of money, the love of self. So again, when Jesus went through the wilderness, I believe that it was a purging to rid him of all the carnal desires that he was born with. How many of you tempted with being hungry, and you had the ability and the authority and the power to turn a stone into a loaf of bread would not do it just to prove that you could. Because listen to what the devil says. He says, if you really be the Son of God. This is coming straight after he was baptized in the, in the Jordan. When he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit, like in the form of a dove, comes down and sets upon him and a voice thunders from heaven and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So God had already placed the identity of this is my son on him but the enemy come when he was being tempted in the wilderness and said go ahead and prove that you can do it go ahead and prove that you are who who they say you are because i really don't believe you listen the, the, the devil is tempting you not because he don't believe who you that you are who you are he's tempting you because he is definitely convinced that you are who you are and you know who you are the son and daughter of god But there was nothing prideful in Jesus. There was nothing evil in Jesus. Because there was nothing prideful. And there was nothing prideful in him. Therefore there was nothing evil in him. Amen. So again. The revelation has got to point to Jesus. You in and of yourself. Will begin to respond in evil and wicked ways. But in relationship with Jesus. By way of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Christ within you, you will begin to reject those notions. Okay? And I'll leave you with this. Submit yourself to God. Right? 
and resist the devil and he must flee you. Submitting myself to God literally means to take off everything that is prideful and everything that is linked to me and identifying me so that I could come into the presence of God. The resisting the devil part comes down to the devil trying to put everything back on me that labeled me in the identity that I have tried to get rid of. Hmm? Sexual perversions, fornications, uh, cursings, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever it may have been, the devil is trying to put those back on you, trying to label you, trying to identify you or attach those things that once you were identified as or by. But submitting yourself to God literally means that, that, that you rid yourself of all the pride in your life. Okay, submit yourself. Well, I don't get it. Well, the New Living Translation actually says humble yourself. So I hope you see there how that correlates. You can't submit without humbling yourself. You can't humble yourself without stripping yourself of your identity that makes you feel confident in who you are or makes you feel empowered in some way, shape, or form. Okay, uh, I, let me read this, and, and I promise you, uh, this time we are going. We will, we will go here. Uh, and I may have done covered this. I, I feel like I have, but I'm not really sure. Okay, when it says, James chapter 4, verse 7, in the New Living Translation, it says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, the King James Version says it this way. It says, To submit yourself to God. The word... The word for humble or submit, whichever uh, variation you're reading or rather, rather the translation you're reading. Okay, the word militarily means that one is under the authority of another. Militarily, it means that one is under the authority of another. To, in, to arrange oneself in a manner like troops under the command of a leader. Voluntarily, it means... An attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And I don't know if I've talked about that. I feel like I have. But I talked about the burden of obedience. And I'll get into that a little bit later next Sunday. Uh, but again, uh, to humble yourself, to submit yourselves to God, is literally to remove anything that is linked to your identity through the form of pride. I heard it said this time, and again, I really want to stress this. The root of sin comes from pride. Why did, why did Abel kill, or why did Cain kill Abel? Out of pride. He was jealous because Abel's sacrifice, Abel's gift was accepted of God and his was rejected. And he was offended. You can't be offended if you're not prideful. Amen. So again, humbly submitting ourselves to God. Greatest example. If it's possible, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, your will, Father, be done and not mine. Amen. I mean... Our greatest example of humility and submissiveness is Jesus. There's nothing that we could preach that's a greater revelation than the person and the presence of Jesus. And that is the 
most missed ingredient to a peaceful, joyful Christian walk is we're not walking it with Jesus. Amen? Well, I'm going to go ahead and help y'all out and close my Bible and turn off my phone so we can go ahead and get out of here. But again, I'm glad to be back. I mean, we really didn't take a break, so I don't know why I'm saying that, but uh, I hope that something that we've discussed, something that we covered here this morning uh, has certainly helped you in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And uh, no pun intended towards Big Jim, but but I don't know. You know, Yeah, you know I was talking about, and I, I this is y'all know it's I'm entitled like seven closures, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know I never did really cover the whole thing of what the Lord asked me about about fasting. You know what? In short, in 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 a simple definition, and the Lord, I mean, I can tell you, I was in a tree stand on the ridge in Sun Hill, overlooking towards Simon. I was sitting there and I was asking the Lord about fasting and he's like, what is fasting anyway? I was like, I don't know. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm afraid to answer God sometimes, you know, because I mean, he's not going to have a wrong answer and I'm sure mine's not going to be. God's answers are awesome and I, I really don't know. But in short, fasting is withholding the desires of the carnal appetite. Food is a carnal appetite. Now, we have to eat to survive. But things that are, are sinful become carnal appetites. I mean, we need to eat to survive, but eating too much can kill us, right? Which is a, which is a sin. You know, we have to drink water to survive, but drinking too much water could ultimately kill us, right? Amen? Uh, too, we need oxygen, but breathing too much oxygen could potentially kill us, right? Amen? Uh, so, you know... Uh, the, the, the fasting is withholding or refusing to adhere or to cater to the appetites of one's flesh or the carnal appetites of one's flesh. So anything that I begin to withhold from my carnality is fasting to become more spiritual. From carnality to spirituality is really, I believe, what the intent of fasting is, is to get me closer to uh, the, the, the image or imagery of, of God through, the, the, through spirituality. So, I mean, so whatever it is that you must have and you fast from that, that is actually you submitting yourself, that is you coming humbly to the presence of God by removing something that is connected to you or is used in an identity or to create identity in you. And so it's, it's, really, it's, it's rejecting or withholding from the carnal appetites of the flesh. That's fasting. Now, some people may argue and say, well, you got to... Yeah, I've had people tell me, if you ain't fasting from food, you're not really fasting. Well, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, you... 
fasting from something that is carnal, I believe is which the intent is to get you to more to become more spiritual. So again, uh, submitting yourself to God, humbling yourself to God, coming coming into the order of His His uh, His or coming into obedience and coming under the order of His command or His authority. Uh, that we could resist the devil. And I, and I know people will use it a little bit wrong. It is militarily, but it's also voluntarily. Okay. Militarily, it's used to accomplish a defeat. Who's, who are we defeating? The enemy, the devil. Resistance. Okay. When, peop, when we talk militarily, they say we, we came to, into some resistance. There was conflict. Okay. Okay. Uh, so militarily, we submit ourselves to God to overcome the enemy, to obtain the defeat. Voluntarily, we submit ourselves to God so that we can become more in the image of God and the likeness of God. So that's the voluntarily part. And again, fasting is voluntary. But it's spiritual. Amen? So... I'm going to go ahead and close with that one. Amen. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia 24822. That is tithely.ly, Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.